When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you've been around My Millennial Money and my teaching for long enough, you'll know I teach the Sound Financial House. Now, the foundations of a Sound Financial House, I believe, are a spending plan, being cashed up and debt-free, so no consumer debt and emergency fund, a protection plan, which is what we're going to talk about today, and your will and estate plan. Now, a lot of you will have default superannuation cover with your super funds. So a lot of us already have a bit of a built-in protection plan in place without doing anything. Much like if you don't have a will, you've kind of got a built-in one, which is it will happen as per the state rules. So like anything in life, if we know that we can control something and tailor it to our circumstances, we need to look at doing that. Today in the podcast, I'm joined by Phil Thompson from Sky Wealth. But before we get into your questions, we can't do today's episode without Global X. Global X brings the world of innovation to investors with beyond ordinary ETFs. From AI to robotics, Global X range of exchange-traded funds allows you to capture the companies shaping the future. Explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL 466778. Investing involves risks and returns are not guaranteed. Refer to the relevant PDS and TMD. Thank you, Global X, for supporting the podcast. Let's get into it right now. Phil Thompson, Skywealth, thank you for coming back on the podcast and for supporting my millennial money and helping heaps of listeners with their insurance needs all around Australia. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. Uh, excited to talk about all things insurance. Now, I want to start with something controversial. You know how, like, you hear those clickbait titles like what the dental industry doesn't want you to know about your teeth Got and it. all that? Let's talk about. Let's clickbait it up. Let's clickbait it up. And in all honesty, this is such an important issue. Talk to us about one of the pitfalls of this default cover in super in relation to death cover and disability cover. Notwithstanding that at the start, I said, we kind of have this as a default thing. Like New South Wales here, if you die today and you don't have a will, the government will go, yeah, well, this is the chain of money and this is where it's going. I was like, oh, no, no, but I want to go here. Oh, I didn't know I had to do a will and all that stuff. So, all that to say, what is one of the biggest traps with default cover in superannuation if I had to make a claim? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just start off by saying default cover is great mm. for lots of reasons. You know, as you're talking about with the wills, there is some backup plan there. Your super fund will automatically set it up and there's lots of good things about it. So, I'm going to talk about some of the pitfalls, but I don't want anyone to rush out and just go and cancel it and go, well, no, it's no good. But one of the biggest downfalls with it is it's not guaranteed to stay the same. So it can change over time. So the insurance contract that you have as default or even even if you increase it, 
is between the super fund and the insurance company. And the super fund will make changes to that insurance contract over time. So, you know, every three years or every five years, they'll retender that contract. And the insurance company and the super fund can negotiate ways in which they can save the members money, uh, which sounds great. Except some of the downfalls is that there may be some things that get changed in the contract that you may only know when you go to claim. And so, uh, with the default cover, at the time of claim, whatever the contract says at claim time, that's what you are claimed based on. So one of the big changes with one of the major super funds recently, and and there is a bit more of a trend to lean towards this, and we know colleagues who have had clients go through claims, I know clients who have kind of experienced these changes whereby the super fund, what they've done is they've changed their policy. So if you are eligible for a TPD payment, so total permanent disability, and you're on income protection, as soon as you're eligible for that TBD payment, they'll stop your income protection. Right. Okay. So, what you're saying is if I've got an income protection policy, so I had a really bad accident and I qualify for income protection, so the policy will pay my insured benefit. Yep. Your monthly benefit. Yep. For maybe five years, for example. Yep. In year two, they could go, well, Glenn, you are TPD'd. Here's this lump sum but we're stopping the income protection. So we're not getting the balance of income protection. Exactly. So for the last three years of that claim that you would be eligible for, they're not going to pay you that because in their view, you can't be totally disabled and partially disabled. And so that's a, a big change that some of the major super funds have done changing those, those contracts. And that would be the same with the terminal illness benefit? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly the same. So terminal illness is a little bit different because, you know, it's a death benefit and so uh, they may be prepaying that death benefit. So it's a little bit more complicated. But Mm. the total disability and the, you know, the income protection, a lot of policies that are set up through a financial advisor, they'll pay out at the same time. So you can get a, a lump sum TPD payment as well as your ongoing income protection. So the rationale is a lump sum might be to clear the mortgage, pay off any other debt, maybe put some money back into super to invest for the future where that income protection is literally putting food on your table each week. Yeah, and it's to replace your income. And income protection doesn't fully replace income. So yeah, the way we look at it in our business is we want both of those to cover a lot of that income that's Mm. that's lost through a total disability. So it is more just a, a nuanced discussion and it's just being aware that like the state-based built-in will that everyone has, sure, it will work. Is it perfect? No. Is it slow and annoying? Yes. Mm. Like the default cover, it is a backup plan that super funds provide for the benefit of their members. By the way, they can tweak that because, and that's the difference, isn't it? With cover that a financial advisor sets up, the insurance company going into a contract with you, the individual, where what you said before, the insurance company is going into a contract with the super fund itself Correct. on behalf on of behalf looking of their after members. their members. Yeah, and that's right. And you look at it from a pro-superannuation company point of view, they want to manage their premiums because they're helping insure millions of members. So they're trying to manage that, that complexity with how do we make sure a million people are not getting charged too much for their premiums, but the ones that need to claim, they may be impacted. So a lot of the major, well, one of the major super funds, they send out what's called a significant event notice. Most people don't read any of their uh, letters from super, um, but read the significant events notice. And even the way they kind of pitch it is they pitch it towards being member first. And and from their point of view, it is. They're managing premium cost. But what it does mean is there's, you know, premiums come down. You, there's got to be something on the other side with difficulty in claim. Mm. Um, and it's contractually 
more difficult to get paid more money in those circumstances. What do you think the biggest myth is or the misconception that people have with what you do or things that you see online and even now, My Millennial Money Facebook group, any of that stuff, what's the biggest myth that you'd want to dispel? Yeah, so I mean, there's probably two main ones. One of the main ones is that I just want to really communicate a lot that with a financial advisor, you can set up a policy where your super fund, your existing super fund can pay for the premiums. A lot of people think that I either need to go to my super fund to set up the insurance, to get the insurance paid for via super, or if I go to a financial advisor or go direct, it, it has to be paid out of my bank account. But with a financial advisor, we can set it up so we can pick any insurance provider that best suits the individual and set it up so their super fund on an annual basis pays that premium. So that's one of the big core things. The other one is that you know the myth that financial advisors, all we want to do is cancel the cover through super and set up new policies because that that's how we get paid. And I you know I was looking through our data in our business um, last quarter, so three months worth of data, we set up, you know, 136 individuals policies and there's kind of three buckets. So one bucket is we recommend you retain your existing. Another bucket is, you know, you've got no cover. So we're setting up a whole new policy. And then the third bucket is that we cancel your existing cover and set up new policies. So the biggest bucket is 42%. We recommended people retain their existing cover and then maybe top it up uh, either through their super fund or externally uh, Mm. from their super fund. So this idea that advisors, all we're trying to do is move policies around or replace policies. Just from our data, 42% of people, we actually say there are some deficiencies with this default cover, but there are lots of benefits in retaining it. Yeah. And we can talk about medical underwriting and, and all that stuff. But I think the main thing is in a perfect world, if you did have cover set up with an external company, company and you had that cover, you didn't have any cover in the super fund because you were healthy and you just never had it and you've set up new policies, you can change your super fund and just direct the premium for that policy to just to be paid from super fund A to super fund B. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, as advisors, advisors, we can set up a policy. So your super fund today, whatever super fund that is, can pay the premiums. But then if you say you want to move super funds in five years' time, then you can move super funds without it impacting your insurance policy. You don't need to go and set up a new policy. All we need to do is, you know, we can just send you a form to say, yeah, let super fund B pay Mm. for the premiums moving forward. And then, you know, you can move super funds 10 times between now and retirement if you choose to, but still retain that insurance. If someone had default cover, so automatically set up their super fund, ta-da, he's 300,000 of death cover, Mind you, most of the time, any default cover isn't good enough. There needs to be more. The level of cover, yeah, yeah is very, very low. Yeah. So we'll say you've opened your super balance and you see that I've got default cover of 300,000 death cover, 300,000 total and permanent disability cover. Why wouldn't I go directly to my existing super company and just be like, well, I've got the cover there, just update it and increase it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's many reasons, but we'll touch on a kind of a few pricing and choice of insurance company. So your super fund will only ever work with one insurance company. So they, they tender the contract and there's there's actually limited amount of insurance companies who do tender for these contracts and they're called group policies. And so whoever your super fund is, they only work with one insurance company. So if, when you go and increase it, if that insurance company says, no, we don't want to cover you or we're going to put exclusions or loadings on the policy, that may not be the case for every other insurance company on the market. So that's kind of one of the downsides is you basically... It's like banking with with one bank and I've got an everyday savings account. Well, do we automatically go for their loan product? 
Probably not. It's probably reasonable to go and speak to a mortgage broker. They've got choice of, of lending products on their panel and it's similar to a financial advisor. So that's kind of one of the big downsides of going through your super fund is you've just got that one provider to go with. The other one is price. This old adage of the super fund, they've got this buying power so they can make it really reasonably priced. But if I go and get it direct, it's going to be more expensive. In our business, I mean, we we get a lot of data about, about our clients and, and what we're doing. And majority of times, I'd say, anecdotally around 90 or 85% of the time, it's more expensive to go and increase your cover through a super fund than to get the same insurance cover through an advisor with the same underlying insurance company. Yeah, wow. And that's a big myth that, you know, because people think it's more expensive to see an advisor to mm, set up their insurance. Correct. Yeah. And, And we charge a fee. We do charge a fee to help people. So they've got to outlay a fee to pay us. But the, our fee for a lot of clients, when we're doing the analysis versus if they went to their super fund, they're paying back our fee in six months worth of their premiums. Like the yeah. disparities can be really significant. And one of the biggest things that I personally don't love, not like we've talked about the choice and the cost and the portability, the biggest thing in my experience is I don't love the estate planning mechanisms where if you had a super balance of you might have $100,000 in your super and $700,000 default cover, if I put a binding nomination on my super fund, that includes the insurance Mm. as well. So I can't set up a policy out here on its own, set up a binding nomination to my kids and in the super fund to my spouse. Yeah. So it just gives you that little bit more flexibility with the state planning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the insurance and the super proceeds can be completely separated if you choose to. The other thing, I mean, any advisor kind of listening is probably thinking, well, bang on about the, the quality of the policy because mm. there is a big disparity. But to be perfectly honest, we try not to talk much about that because it's very nuanced. Like mm. there, there is a lot of nuance in the quality of cover and, you know, yes, insurance within Superfund, it is restrictive um, in lots of ways, but just purely by the portability, the cost factor, the choice of insurer, those factors alone is why I encourage a lot of people to speak to an advisor. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And for those kind of playing, you know, to the 10 percenters or so in the really complex nerdy space, my own uh, insurance was paid by my retail super fund. Now, I've recently in the last six months set up a self-managed super fund. My retail insurance fund didn't have any insurance because I just got it held by a financial advisor. Mm. And I've just re-diverted the premium to come from the self-managed super fund. So, continue, no yeah. issues, life goes on. Yeah, and, and seamless, yeah. if you will. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't lose your insurance or you don't need to reset it up because mm. you set it up when you were young and healthy. Yep. And so, yeah, resetting it up can be very, very difficult. All right. So we in the Facebook group had about 60 questions about insurance. So we're just going to answer a heap. Renetta, just flowing on from the super discussion. What's the benefit of getting life slash TPD insurance slash income protection? outside of super versus inside of super? Great question. So with everything, it's all a bit complex, but let's assume you're going direct to an insurance company versus direct to a super fund. Now, the, the big difference is you can only pay for it through your cash flow or you can only pay for it through super. Now, if you go through an advisor, they can look at getting your super fund to pay the premiums for most of it. And then the policies that have to be paid outside of your super, so things like trauma insurance, or if you're looking at own occupation disability, or if you want income protection to be outside of super, you can kind of get the best 
of both worlds. So you can get you can be tax effective and have your life insurance and your disability insurance paid through super. So that's a really tax effective way of paying for those policies. But you don't have to have it all through super or all outside of super. But there is like, so for example, if we just say death cover only. So you've got, you set up an $800,000 death policy owned by the super fund. There is no tax on death proceeds in Australia if it's paid to a dependent. Yep. So you could theoretically, in a round numbers, if it costs you $1,000 a year, the super fund would pay that, claim a 15% tax refund on the 15% tax rate. Correct. So it's cost you $8,050. Yep. And then if you died, the dependents would get that money tax-free. Yeah, exactly. Now, in Australia, if you had a policy like you get on the TV in your own name and it cost you $1,000 a year in your own name, sure, the proceeds are still tax-free, it's death cover, but you can't save that 15% tax. Correct. Yeah. So it makes, you can't salary sacrifice. You can't you know, salary you're going to pay that $1,000 after taxing. That's income. right. So I would just, again, just understand. And this is why we have people like Phil and the team at Sky to just specialize in this stuff. And there's plenty of advisors that also do uh, insurance, but it's just really good to get um, advice. Here's a question from Taryn. What do you do when you work in an industry that is contract-based and no one will give you income protection? Yeah, it's a good question. So you can get income protection if you're on a contract. You've just got limited options. Mm. So it depends on the type of work. I think there was a follow-on question. Yeah, I, I kind of said, oh, what, what are you doing and what, what industry? And she said, I saw a financial advisor. I work in television. It depends on the policy. Like you'd definitely be able to get life and trauma. I mean- Yeah, I, and that's, I guess, why she said income protection. Yeah, so income protection, it depends on the type of work you do in television. Um, but I hope this isn't us as a financial advisor. I don't think it is. But I would be asking the financial advisor if they pre-assess your occupation with every insurance company. Right. So, you know, as, a, as an advisor, we do what's called a pre-assessment. So we can go to every insurance company and say, hey, this is the occupation. This is the duties that are involved. Would you offer cover? Right, yeah. So that's probably the kicker there. Did they do a pre-assessment? Are you saying when you get a client, you send their scenario, so a health snapshot, occupation snapshot? Yeah. Yeah, duties. hobbies, pastime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything that we know from a from an insurer's point of view that will impact the cover. Mm. So you know, hobbies, pastime, occupation, but not just your occupation that's listed on your on your um your resume, but yeah. actually your duties yeah. that matters most with insurance companies. Yeah. So we take that information, we de-identify it, and we send it off to insurance companies to say, hey, who would offer cover? So depending on the actual duties, like if you're working in television but you're contracting as a writer or you're you're a makeup artist, there may be some insurers who will be willing to offer cover. But you know, just from a contract basis, I know automatically there's some insurers who won't offer cover based on that. But that's the same as like when we talk to mortgage brokers, people who might be on contract incomes and self-employed, some banks and lenders are like, no, we don't do that. And others were like, hey, if it's the same industry and it's been three years and it's consistent, whatever. Yeah. We don't care. And insurance is generally easier than banking. Mm. Neil, how often should you review insurance? And what happens if you're no longer in contact with the advisor who set it up? So, I mean, I'll touch on the how often you review it. For me, the way I like to see it is um, anytime there's a major life event, big increases in income or decreases in income, 
babies, debt, like big life changes like that. Yeah, the thing about these type of insurances is they're different to car insurance or home and content. You don't want to be reviewing every year and moving companies because mm. that's that's the general rule of thumb. You know, review your insurance policy, call them up, see if you can get a better deal. When it comes to life insurance, the reason why it is different is because under the general insurance contract and legislation, the, the general insurance provider can make changes. It's not every year it has to be exactly the same. The life insurance provider, they cannot change the contract on you. Even if they will no longer take any new clients, the contracts are still the same and they're still valid. And so that's why when it comes to life insurance and income protection, it's not a matter of, oh, let's just move every 12 months. That's why I like to think about it is every major life event, uh, any major increase or decrease to income, just touch base with your advisor. Now, I know Neil's kind of mentioned that he's no longer in contact with the advisor, but it's good just to touch base with the advisor and just to say, hey, this has happened. Do I need to make any adjustments? Mm. Now, what to do if you're no longer in contact with the advisor? I mean, you can find another advisor who can help review the policy. Mm. And they, they would basically write with your permission signature transfer the policy over to their portal so they can log in and look at it? They can, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm a big believer in like, if they're no longer in the industry, you mm. definitely go somewhere else. But just have a conversation with the advisor if, you, if you're if having gelled because they may not be doing insurance anymore. Mm. They may not be a part of their core business. But yeah, you can, you can reach out to another advisor and they mm. should be able to help you. Daniel asked, before we move on, uh, while we're talking about financial advisors, what's the benefit of using a financial advisor? Yeah, and he said, or insurance broker. So advisors get pretty sensitive sometimes when you call them insurance brokers that we don't really care because it's, it's essentially the same thing. We're a mortgage broker, but for insurance. But strictly by the book, an insurance broker is general insurance, property, health, or general, building, or general advice. They won't give you financial yes, advice. Yes, yes. So they, they can do this stuff, but they don't give you f- financial advice. So I'm a big believer in going and seeing a financial advisor because they'll give you advice. Well, they'll look through it through the tax and estate planning lens as well. Oh, yeah. And they'll, look th- they'll, they'll actually give you a product recommendation as mm. an insurance broker. They can just basically put a quote in front of you yeah. and say, go, but, you yep. know, you tell me which one you want. So, you know, the benefits of using a financial advisor, you know, as we talked about, similar to mortgage broking, you've got a professional who does day in, day out, and who can recommend a product based on your individual circumstances. Mm. So anecdotally in our business, about 50% of our uh, recommendation is based on an individual's health history. So the underwriting. So we get better terms with one insurance company versus another insurance company. We'd prefer to recommend that insurance company who's getting us better terms, uh, even if they're slightly more expensive. And that's the trade-off, isn't it? Like, let's just make a thing up. I come to you, Phil... Now, I shared it in my book. I've had polyps removed uh, and I want to increase trauma insurance. So polyps were removed after I took out my base level of trauma cover. And they said to me, Glenn, we know that you've got a history of polyps. For the additional cover that you're increasing, we will give you the cover, but you have to pay a loading or 50% or you can take an exclusion. So I was given the choice whether I wanted to pay more because there was a higher risk of bowel cancer or take the risk, not pay any less, just pay the same, but have that excluded. Do you have any like overarching comments on the loading and exclusions and what you might put 
in front of a client with recommendations because then you're stepping into, well, it's not just about price. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just to fill that in, a loading is you get charged more. And so we're basically saying pay more for this. Because the risk is higher. Yeah, because the risk is higher. So our general rule of thumb is if it's something that is like a family history or there is a pre-existing... you know, disposition for bowel cancer, we would like to see it included in the policy. So if we get the option to exclude it or load it, we'd love to recommend loading because, you know, you're more likely to have bowel cancer than the general Joe Blow out there. Mm. Um, but we give the options and we say, this is option one, this is option two. It's generally, it's a bit rarer these days to get given those options. A lot of those options are generally, some insurers will do it for family history. Hey, family history of breast cancer, do you want a loading or do you want an exclusion? We'll generally lean towards our loading um, for it, but we give the clients an option. At the end of the day, our job is really just to do all the research, do all the work mm. and present the option that we think is best fit for the clients, but we educate them as to why we made that decision and then just empower them to make their choice that, that they feel is best for them. So if someone's got a loading or an exclusion, and we'll talk about a loading high cholesterol, did blood test, cholesterol was high. 50, 75% loading. Do they just still do 75s or just 50 or 100? It depends. Yeah, they do 75s. Um, Can a loading or exclusion be reviewed and removed or once it's on the policy, that's it? Yeah, yeah, it can be removed. So a part of our work up front, when we're setting up policies, we, I mean, we tell clients we're expecting this outcome and then when we apply for the cover, most of the time we get the, the outcome that we expect because we do a lot of that deep, you know, a lot of that work up front. Mm. But when we submit the application and get the exclusion, we'll always ask the underwriter, hey, when is this reviewable? And the underwriter will generally give us a good a good indication. Hey, this is a condition that we don't feel comfortable reviewing in the future and they'll tell us it's not reviewable. Mm. Or they'll generally say once you're five years away, treatment, symptom-free, it can be reviewable. Because there's probably a strong-ish chance if I had three colonoscopies over a nine-year period and they were all clear... I'd probably have a crack at getting the loading removed. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah it's it's... Well, I mean, there's a few things there. Underwriting does change over time. Yeah. And and some providers have strict stances in, in certain mm. things. It's really a lot of... Um, but what they can do, they can actually look at your overall health and go, well, Glenn, you're fatter now and you've got high blood pressure, so we're yeah, keeping a loading some company, on. <laughs> some companies will do that, not, but a lot do. They yeah. they review just that excluded sure. thing now. So it's, it is a bit better because... You know, advisors are putting a lot of pressure on insurance companies to say, hey, just because they've got a, a mental health condition now doesn't mean you can't reduce their BMI loading. And yeah, so, so group, they are yeah. getting better at, mm. at reviewing that one condition. Finally, while we're continuing to bash financial advisors, we will go to Tina's question. I'm actually not happy with my financial advisor and I'm looking for a new one. Question, I have a current cover and I'm trying to increase my cover. If I change financial advisors, is it like starting from scratch and we'll end up paying more in premiums or will it simply be a continuation of my cover? And second question, it seems like I have to fill out the paperwork or all the paperwork as if I'm applying for the first time to do this increase, which makes me think, are they going to include more exclusions because I've seen the physio or been to the doctor? That's kind of very similar to what I just shared around my increased cover when I took the original cover out, I didn't have the polyps, but the increased amount is based on my health that day because they can't tweak the existing stuff that's in force. Correct. Yeah. So do you want to say anything there? Like, I think we maybe covered it, but just bring her 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of reaching out to your existing advisor because you know our business we've got we've got lots of people who come, but they've got a relationship with an existing advisor. We'll always say just reach out to them because we charge a fee to to start the work. Even if you've got cover in place, we'll review it all, um, but we charge a fee. And the advisor you're working with, they may not. So always reach out. So, I mean, just off topic, but I, I listened to a TikTok the other day about relationship breakdowns. A lot of it is based on unmet expectations that wasn't communicated. So maybe you've got um, unmet expectations with that advisor that may not be communicated. So always just reach out. You know, You're talking then, about advice, not me. No, yeah. <laughs> but well, all of the above. No, so I'm talking about, yeah, that, that advice relationship. Maybe they they don't do insurance anymore and mm. that's okay and they'll tell you, they'll be very clear that, hey, we, I know we set this up but we can't do it. So if, you, if you're looking for a new advisor, you can um, review your cover and go through the process again in terms of getting advice. Now, they may not scrap your existing cover mm. and set up all new ones. Because, you know, if you've had new health issues, then there's con- concerns with that. Yeah, like I'm basically not, you know, you've just set up some death cover for me recently. And yep. like, I'm not getting TBD cover anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, and just talk about that three strikes type rule with cover. Yeah, so when it comes to loadings and exclusions, a lot of insurance companies will will offer cover with three exclusions, but they won't offer cover with four exclusions. Mm. So again, this is why... You know, working with your super fund to increase cover, well, that insurance provider may have a certain rule that isn't industry-based. That's why it's good to reach out to an advisor. But who some can kind default of, super funds won't issue cover with an exclusion. They'll just blanket. Oh, they, no, they're getting a bit better are these they? days. Yeah, they, they are a bit better where they will offer exclusions. Some, some the will additional offer exclusions group. on the full amount. Some will just right. do it on that additional but not the default. So it is a little bit more complex. But, mm. but you know, you go and increase with the super fund and that, insurance provider says no, it doesn't mean everyone says no. But coming back to your point with, you know, three, it's really four strikes and you're out. Mm. So you can have three exclusions, but if you have four, they won't offer any cover. And it can be pretty silly. You know, I I hurt my wrist, hurt my ankle, got a mental health and I've got a back issue. Mm. My wrist and ankle are fine, but they won't offer any competition. You know, I've had both my ankles done now, both my wrists done now, you know, the polyps, mental health exclusion, probably could lose a few kilos. It's so crazy that, you know, and this is just actuary, that I've got a TBD exclusion or they won't offer TBD because of a left or right wrist. Like I'm yeah, not yeah. ever going to be TBD'd. Yeah, had your, you know, ankles been fine. Yeah. Then, like, but it's just actuarial numbers and data, right? Big data. That's right. And, and, well, to, and also, to be honest, the insurance companies don't want to have like half of the potential claims completely excluded because it's just not a good look for them. No. Even though it's, you know, from the individual's point of view, I just want cover. Mm. I'm happy with the 75 exclusions. I just need cover. But the insurance companies still generally will say no. Emma asks, income protection for the self-employed. My income fluctuates throughout the year, but is generally consistent over a 12-month period. Could this impact what I'm paid if I ever had to claim? Also, do I need IP or income protection, trauma and TPD or is there an overlap between the three? Yeah, so coming back to the first question, like if your income um, fluctuates but it's fairly stable over a 12-month period, then that's the way insurance companies assess it um, at the time of claim. So you go and claim- look back two or three years. Uh, the new income protection, it's 12 months. 12 months. Now, God. if there's a big drop in your revenue as a business or your income, they may look back two years. Um, so that's even for a policy outside of super. Correct. So that's under the um, sustainability stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. 
yeah, income reduction change. We did a podcast yeah, about, yeah. about all the changes. So go back and to the, oh, to probably the but whatever. Um, but the old policies, yeah, they you know, we would look back three years and say, like, give us the best 12 months of income mm. in your business over the last three years. Today, it is the last 12 months, unless there's a substantial dip in your income, then they'll look back further. But if, if it's consistent over a 12-month period, you don't need to worry. So you don't need to think, oh, my income's, business income's gone down for the last two months or the last bass was really low. Mm. Do I need to freak out about my insurance? No, you don't. Um, yeah. Yeah, as long as it is kind of consistent. Or if you do like seasonal work where you know, you're really busy during Christmas and so your business revenue's the same over a 12-month period, you don't need to worry. Mm. And then the second question, is there overlap between the, the policies? There kind of is and, and that's a good thing. We want there to be an overlap. Like we talked about right at the top of the, the episode, income protection and disability can get paid out together and so and you kind of want it to. Unless you've got a potential group policy yeah. with a super fund. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you've read your significant events notice. Mm. Um, yeah, so they can get paid out together because income protection won't ever fully replace your income. And your income is significant in terms of your your overall wealth. No one's building wealth without income, mm. uh, unless it's all you know family wealth, which would be nice. Um, but I don't have that, and so you want your income protection and TBD to kind of overlap if there is a substantial disability. And I can never work again because income protection will only pay out a percentage of your income; it never covers it. Same with trauma. If I have a, a medical event like cancer or heart attacks, and I'm out of work for twelve months, well. I'm going to lose income from that, but I also have medical expenses now as well. So we want there to be an overlap, but sometimes there isn't. So, you know, I hurt my knee and I'm out of work for, you know, four months. Well, it's not a disability. I'm not totally disabled. There's no trauma condition that'll pay out. So it's just the income protection. Yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll lead straight into a story of a recent claim that I've uh, helped a friend go through and really close to home this one. So I've asked her if she wants to share her story just to encourage a few people uh, to do some health checks and you'll hear the claim process and what it meant to her on an emotional level where if you go through some serious stuff where money isn't a big stressor because the insurance solved that. And if you hang around at the very end of the episode, you'll hear more about Ainsley's story and the whole interview that I did with her, the medical condition, the process, all that stuff. Uh, But here's a quick grab of her story and we'll be right back after Ainsley with Phil. Welcome to the podcast, Ainsley. Thank you. So you've been diagnosed with a very, very serious medical condition, the last thing you want to do is rock up to work. You've got the stress of crap. I've got rent pain, like you're renting with a flatmate. What if you can't pay? Do I have to go back and move home? So you've got all these feelings, right? And the long story short was um, we put in a trauma claim with the insurance company and Ainsley got a significant amount of money. Uh, that was approved pretty hastily. Um, We'll give Zurich a shout out uh, for doing that. What did that do to the feeling? Like once you knew that, you know, and we'll just, are you comfortable to say, just say well over a hundred grand. Yes. We'll just say that. Yeah. So that's a real amount of money. So what did that do knowing that you had that cash paid into your bank account and you're still in the storm of it all? Yeah, I guess... When I was going through that four-week period from the diagnosis to the operation, um, 
I was trying to go to work the entire time because it was a new job. I had no sick leave. Even up till the day before my operation, I attempted to go to work. Um, anxiety sent me home. So I knew that feeling of needing to work to get on with life. In fact, I would say to people, they would say, what did you learn? I was like, that you work till you die mm. because you still need money. You still need to pay rent. So, so I knew that feeling. So when I was successful for this trauma claim and the income protection, it was automatic. I didn't want to go out and buy something ridiculous. Um, but I thought to myself, I won't have to rush back to work if it happens again or if it gets worse. I've got that freedom to look after myself, to take some time out and to not have to worry financially about uh, the next operation, the treatment. Um, yeah, so it was just a massive relief. Mm. And then the out-of-pocket cost uh, from the private healthcare and the plastic surgeon and the, the stay in hospital and all that stuff, that was at what, close to... Ten. Ten grand? Ten thousand, yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was like a stressor that was removed instantly. Yep. What does the feeling of having financial security in the worst time medically in your life, how would you describe that? Yeah, as I said, just a massive relief. Uh, there's just no thought about, well, do I need to rush back? As I said, to work, you know, what treatment can I afford? Um, as you said yourself, you know, if there's a drug that isn't available yet, I could potentially pay for it myself. Mm. I've just got that, yeah, that, I guess it's a security. It is a security. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Phil, 101 story about a trauma claim. Over $100,000 and it just took all the pressure off. Didn't have to worry about rent or anything like that. Just can focus on relaxing and getting through a very stressful time. I've personally seen lots of trauma claims. You've personally seen lots of claims and lots of trauma claims. This stuff happens. Mm. Life happens. And I think it's just about getting some cover in place 
I always used to say, and I said to Phil this morning over breakfast, like, I'm going to try and not say all my old anecdotes from <laughs> a million go, years ago, but here go. we go, kick in. I always used to say to clients, we need to get some cover in place. I'll make a recommendation with what I believe is appropriate for you, mm. but we need to get to a talking point first. And then it's that, well, we don't want to spend all our money on insurance, but we don't want to carry the risk ourselves. Life's full of risks. Mm. That's why we just have to factor in costs to our budget, our sound financial house and keep going because as Ainsley said, like she did have some cash savings, but that's for a house purchase. Mm. So now she can just press pause on her life, get well and the story certainly isn't over and then she can resume and, you know, she doesn't get wiped out financially due to a health event. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, yeah, as you said, we've got plenty of claims, um, clients who have gone through claims, friends of mine who have gone through claims, like staff members who have gone through claims. Like we we see this all the time and it's – and in fact, I'm increasing my cover as we speak. I've got heaps of cover. I've got $2.4 million currently, life and TBD, and I'm still thinking if I pass away – my wife is at home with our three young girls, 12, 10 and 8 and she's currently not working and if I pass away, there's a significant impact. She's going to deal with like how do we manage this business? <laughs> like what do we do with this business? What, you know, how do we pay our staff? Like mm. you know, what, what do we need to do to kind of get back to kind of normality and guess what? Having money in the bank and because I'm increasing it to $4 million, I'm just like, just more money is better in that scenario. And I'm willing to pay the premiums for it. I know, I know it's going to cost us money uh, for the extra well, life a, and disability. You're a business owner, so there is that as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a matter of going, I just want, for, if Kay was to pass away, I want money in the bank. Because, I mean, we're increasing her cover as well. It's not yeah. just mine, it's both of ours. Yeah. Like, I just want money in the bank so we're not stressed out. We've so got, people, yeah, so people might be thinking, why, you know, Kate uh, manages the household, mm. does the kids run and all that, obviously supports you a lot with when you go and run the business. Yep. So people might be saying, well, why do I need insurance on my quote-unquote non-working spouse? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And and we hear this all the time. Well, my, my partner's not bringing in any income, so there's no loss of income there. Do we need that insurance? And and we've maxed out Kate's ability to get insurance and we're trying to increase it. Well, when we set it up, it was maxed out and we're trying to increase it now. And the, the reality is Kate went away to Morocco for two and a half weeks last year and it was chaos, like utter chaos. Like we made a joke in our household with the girls that like the amount of dad fails there were. And we just, we just kind of like made it a running joke about the first day my youngest didn't have lunch at school because I've, you know, I, just, I got the two older ones food, but the younger one didn't have food. And like that's without the stress of losing the love of my life. Mm. And it was difficult those two and a half weeks, but I knew we were going to go back to normal life. And so the, the ability to have money in the bank where I can know that, okay, we can pay wages without me worrying about it. There's money in the bank. Someone else can do that work. And I can just be at home, be with my girls, focus on just getting right for our house as a household. So an insurance company will give all covers to a non-working spouse? So she can get trauma insurance, life insurance and disability insurance. Lump sum. As a lump sum, yeah. Yep. Not, not income protection. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, there's a question here from Hugo. What do you do if you were denied cover? Do you invest the amount you would spend on premiums elsewhere? So, obviously, we can be denied cover for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Let's go through them. First one, 
So, I mean, there are too many exclusions. Yep. And then normally well, that's... health. Yeah, health reasons. Um, occupation reasons. Yep. Yeah, you're too high risk occupation. They're not willing to offer you cover. Uh, you may be in prison. Yep. You might have some recreational activities. You might be hardcore in drugs where they're just like, we're not going there. Yep. Yeah, drug use. But there's a range of reasons why people may not be able to get cover. Correct. What's the first thing that you would do if a client was to give you a basic medical overview? You've submitted the pre-assessment to all insurers and they've come back and said, we're not willing to offer cover. So a straight up medical decline. Yeah. Like what do you do with clients in that situation? Yeah, so, so if they're medically declined, most insurers will let us know, hey, we, we can't offer any cover. Now, again, each policy will have its own underwriting assessment. Mm-hmm. So income protection and TBD, they may decline that, but they can offer trauma and life insurance. Right. So, you know, it's not just a declining all necessarily. It could be some covers that they won't offer. And so normally if it's a medically declining income protection and disability, we've got the ability where some insurance companies will offer what's called accident only cover. Right. So if you have an accident and you can't work because of that accident, then we'll pay you an income protection or we'll pay you a disability cover or we'll pay you a life insurance benefit. And so trauma insurance is an accident because they're never, you know, there's no accidents that's claimable under a trauma contract. Because medical triggers. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's heart attacks, strokes and, and all of those Cancers, things. Yeah. And so, yeah, we can get accident only if they're declined medically. So again, if you go through your super fund and you get declined through your super fund, remember it's only one insurer's mm. assessment. So that's why it's good to reach out to an advisor and say, I can't get it through my super fund and see if there's any other insurance companies who can offer cover. Because again, you know, we've got very differing outcomes from insurance companies. And so it's just worthwhile reaching out to an advisor who's going to do a really thorough pre-assessment with a lot of insurers. Don't under-disclose. Don't say, I won't tell this information. Uh, It's better to have as much information as possible. Yeah, I've got a friend at the moment and she's getting some cover set up and she's like, oh... It's taken so long. The doctors aren't doing the reports. And I'm like, hey, it's better that we take the time now because if you have a medical event or an accident, we can't wait five months for a doctor to fill out a report. (laughs) Like we need to make sure that they will issue cover, take timing on the application process. So the claims process is a lot more straightforward. Yeah. And I mean, the whole, like getting insurance is a pain in the neck. Mm. Um, And we try and make it as easy as possible. But, you know, in no way, shape or form, is it a simple tick and flick process. Mm. It does take a lot of time. So if you are declined cover, then there are potential options. And that's why I don't, you know, I've said at the top of this episode, I don't want anyone to walk away going, oh, my insurance through my super fund's no good. I'll cancel that and then go and speak to an advisor because that may be the only cover you could get. So that's why it's a, it's a really important to review it with whatever you've got and, and go into it knowing that, okay, I really need this cover because I can't get any new cover. Mm. So I, I won't roll over from, you know, a super fund to be super fun because I'll lose that cover yep. and that new cover is going to have some issues. So Hugo, what I would generally recommend if it's a decline for health reasons and you can't get accident only cover, so you know accident only income protection, you're walking down the street, roll over, break your leg, can't work for five months, they will pay the claim. Practically speaking, make sure you hang on to that super fund that Phil just mentioned and you know one day if you're like, oh, I need to move super funds, keep five or 10 grand in that fund just to keep that insurance because you may be covered. There are conditions with group policies in super where they may look back five years uh, before they pay a claim. So nothing's ever guaranteed, but it's in place and it's better than not because while you might be a medical decline because of family history of 
something savage, if you got hit by a bus, at least you got death cover. Yeah. And also your assessment today is as of today. Or if you even got cancer. Like, it's a medical event. You're yeah, still that's covered. right. And, yeah. and it's just something to think about that like underwriting isn't uh, – it's not still and it's not the case for the rest of your life. Mm. So, again, you know, if you get four exclusions, you may get medically declined cover because you've got four exclusions. But your ankle, the insurance company might say that, okay, we're actually two years away from that ankle break. Mm. We're, gonna, we're not going to um, exclude that. So, now you've got three exclusions. We'll offer cover. Mm. So, it's when you go through an advisor and they've done that research, it may be today's assessment but it may not be in a year's time or two years' time. So it is worthwhile kind of revisiting that and have a chat to the advisor or even the super fund. If you've gone through the super fund, have a chat to them and say, why am I declined? What was yeah. the reason um, for it? And is this a potential to change in the future? Yeah. So to Hugo's point, I'd probably be very conscious you might run a double emergency fund, like yeah. six months cash. Like just be consciously, I can't get insurance. I need to run a higher emergency fund. And then absolutely, you need to be building wealth and you're just taking that risk that I can't get it. That's right. And and to Hugo's point, and we hear a lot of people in like certain communities talk about, well, we don't need insurance. I'll, I'll save the premiums and that'll mm. build wealth quicker. And unfortunately, if you're medically declined cover, I would revisit every so often because you're never going to be able to save the amount mm. to cover the risk. Like if you're, you know, I just did these numbers before we started recording. If you're 30 years old and you're earning 60 grand a year, your income until retirement at age 65, so retirement could be much older than that, is worth just shy of $3.4 million, mm. assuming it, I think we do a 3% inflation rate. And so it's $3.4 million worth of income. So if you can't work, then that, that's $3.4 million. I don't care, no 60, no 30-year-old earning 60 grand a year can save $3.4 million very quickly or easily. So there is a big risk. Mm. So as I said, if you medically decline cover, revisit it every 12 months, every you know few years to see if, okay, is my new assessment still declined? You know how I'm an asshole. Okay. Um, I wouldn't characterize you as that. Oh, okay. Um. I had a client, a potential client come in one day and they wanted to do some financial planning and all that. He had a young family, $700,000 mortgage, no death cover, no income insurance. And he could get it, but he didn't want to. And I said, I can't have you as a client because my values with what I think need to be in line in someone's financial life, they're not aligned. So I actually can't help you. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it, it wasn't a premium issue necessarily. No, it, was it was just, just a, he's just a, I'm dead. It's yeah, not and, my problem. And then some, because some people, there are a percentage of people who don't like insurance, be it car insurance, home insurance, house insurance, mm. or, you know, contents, life insurance. But if I'm ever dealing with a client at the time, I was like, are you kidding me? You've got a young family you got big income. You don't want to at least get death cover. I've seen too many people die with young kids, mortgages, and the spouses have been left behind mm. with almost nothing. I don't want anything to do with this stupidity. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just this idea of like thinking about what is the cost. Insurance is a premium. It's a cost. But if I was to never work again, what's the cost of that? Like, again, I didn't did more math. So $100,000 of income as a 40-year-old. 
saying now you're closer to retirement. You're still 25 years until retirement age. That's worth $3.5 million. Now, as a 50-year-old on 100K, it's only $1.8 million. So as you get closer to retirement, maybe as the premiums go up, the need is actually less because the, the insurance company is going to pay you less if you can never work again. So it's just kind of understanding the actual risk that you're taking on that in reality, all our amazing goals to build wealth is all predicated on the fact that we can earn an income. Mm. And so if we can't earn that income, then we can't build wealth. We can't retire early at age 45 if you don't have that, you know, that income within those you know, next 10 years or 20 years or whatever that looks like. Chris asked, child insurance, is it worth it? And what age would you consider stopping it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get a little bit technical here. Child insurance, I think, is worth it because, I mean, I've got three kids. They've all got insurance and we're a little bit crazy in our family. One of my daughters was sick the other day and she was pretending to be dead. And I was like, oh, if you're dead, we'll get $50,000. So we're a bit sadistic in that way. But we've, we've got child cover, 50 grand per kid. But it just means if something happens to them, money's in the bank to, to help care for them and if they were to pass away I know our life would you need to increase that to 200 per kid yeah you know as I was saying it you know we're increasing our (laughs) cover as it is anyway but it's just money in the bank and so you know when do you consider cancelling it that's a really good question because a lot of the child cover contracts will convert into adult contracts Mm. later. So if something happened, and the reason why that's beneficial is because as they're 18, they can continue that contract. Mm. Now you can keep paying as a parent, but they will kind of live on. One thing I used to do, talking about an old anecdote that I wasn't going to mention, but (laughs) I just want to know this. A couple of companies I used to recommend, you know, if you had over a hundred grand of trauma cover per adult, there'd be 10 grand child cover built in and income protection, 10 grand. So, I almost set that up where it was appropriate. Uh, each working spouse had IP. Each working spouse had at least 100 grand trauma cover. It meant that every kid automatically had 40 grand child cover mm. and they didn't have to pay any extra just as a benefit. Are those yeah. things still in policies? Yeah, there's, they, still, yeah, there's still some of those, yeah. those things, yeah. But I mean, I'd always make the recommendation because it's like 14 bucks a month or whatever, 100 grand child cover, whatever it's, it was. It's pretty much of that yeah, it, these yeah. days. Like well, mm. one company is $100,000, 15 bucks a month. Yeah, so it's not, yeah. you know. But it's just that thing. If worst case happened, and could that, can there be anything worse than the loss of a child? Mm. Not sure. Don't think so. No. And at least you can be like, all right, money's not an issue. We need to mourn and be with our other kids. Yeah, and and I've had well, we've had clients who decline child cover because they they felt really uncomfortable if something happens by getting money. Yeah, or that whole I don't want to get a will because I mean I'll die next. Or well, no, no, they they were stuff. they were just felt bad about yeah. insuring their kid because they would be financially benefiting from their kid passing away. It's like. No, like you don't, you don't, yeah, you I'm don't financially benefit. benefit from Kate passing away, but it doesn't yeah. mean I'm benefiting. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm stuffed. John <laughs> will benefit if I die because he owns Correct. a policy on me. A little bit different there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's why insurance companies are a little bit less keen on, on offering those covers. But yeah, it's not about financially benefiting at all. Mm. Um, it's just about going money in the bank if something was to happen to our kids is really, really important. Mm. I'm going to read three questions that kind of are all talking about the same thing. Stephen, no debt, property or kids. Cost feels excessive for something where best case scenario is I'll never need it. Ask Ainsley if she ever needed her trauma cover. Christian said, what is the best course of action if you're a household with two low income earners and wanting kids in the future? And then Kalia said, 
If you've paid your house off and have no other liabilities, is it better slash smarter to maintain your basic super cover than self-insure with savings instead of paying extra on premium? Along that, like when do we need insurance? And while you're kind of thinking about that, I'm going to say what I always say when I do your little advertisement in our community section of the week. I say this sometimes. If you've got an income, you need to protect it. Mm. If you don't need to protect it, you don't need it. Now, if you don't need it, why are you working for it? Now, and if the question is, I've got more money than God, I just like working because it's the social thing and all good, sure, you don't need income protection. So what I'm saying is, if you've got no debt or dependence, there's still a case for income protection as a minimum. Correct. I mean, back to those numbers I, I did before. Everyone has an income and almost everyone relies on that income. Mm. Like your example is 0.00001% of all the population Mm. in Australia and we're a very wealthy country. Most people need their income and the likelihood of this happening and the likelihood of claiming on income protection is low, sure, Um, but talk to Ainsley um, Mm. and see how likely it was for her. Talk to a lot of our clients who are claiming and see how likely it is for them. Mm. Um, It does happen and we try and always steer clear of like scaring people into buying these things because it's expensive. You've got to make an informed decision and I always come back to, I'm a very pragmatic person. It's all Mm. data driven. I look at it as a a $60,000 a year, as a 30-year-old, that's $3.4 million. If you had a $3.4 million car as a 30-year-old, there's no way in the world you drive that car without insuring it. And mm. so there's this really differing view between insuring everything else in our life versus insuring our income. So yeah, if you're, if you're kid-free, debt-free, then quite possibly you don't need life insurance. You mm. may not need trauma insurance or want it. Yeah, and that's I'll just shout out to Christy as well. As a forever alone, can I just get the insurance that would benefit me while I'm still alive and not life insurance? I won't need it if I'm dead. What should I be getting? Well, we'll pick on Ainsley again. Ainsley's uh, currently no dependence and single and she's had a trauma cover, her income protection. I set up a TPD policy in her super fund, but I always linked the death and TPD uh, just for packaging. Usually it's like, well, hey, you might have a family one day, you might not. She might have the view because she's older now. It's like, I oh, don't even worry about the death cover, but... I don't know. I think it's just when you said the I word before informed, go through the process, speak to an advisor and say, hey, can you just run a risk analysis? They'll do the proposal and just put the data on the table. Yeah. Once the data's on the table, right, this is how much for this, this is how much for that. You're an adult, you're informed, make the judgment call. Yeah. But just know you line the bed you make and if you go, no, nah, not doing it all, and then you had a medical event, you can't turn around and go, oh, is it too late? Well, yeah, it is. Um, well, I mean, but, but going back to, to, I think it's Kirsty. Did Kirstie. I say Christy? You did say Christy. It's oh, Kirsty. My sister's name is Kirsty, so oh, well, that's then, okay. Yeah, you picked that's it up That's why I picked then. it up. Yeah. Um, so going back to Kirsty's point is most of the insurances are actually for the individual who is injured or ill or sick. Yeah. So income protection, it's for you. Living you benefit. Your, yeah, trauma, um, living benefit. Trauma is if you have cancer, you yeah. get paid money. Disability is if you're totally disabled, you get money. Just life insurance, it really goes to someone else because you're dead. Doesn't and matter. the difference between standalone TBD and linked TBD and death cover, it's not huge. 
I was like, oh, I don't actually have the hard numbers around our mm. business, but what we always, so for someone like this situation, we think the three covers that, that pay for you is really important and we want to have those covers. Would you link it to death though? Yeah, we do, we do two quotes. We always do two quotes. One right. without life insurance and one with life insurance to be the same as your disability. I would say anecdotally around 70 to 80% of the time we have life insurance because it saves you money. Okay, stop there for a second. You're getting life insurance and it saves you money. doesn't make any sense, but that's just how the insurance providers price it. So often- Well, you don't pay stamp duty on death cover in Australia. So if you link trauma or TPD to a death cover, instantly you don't pay stamp duty. Yeah. And I think it's state-based, but- it's overriding for Australia. It is. It's just it's just the way insurance companies price it. Yep. So sometimes when you group it all together, yeah, and that's why discounts. we always we always yeah. do two two yeah. quotes. And so sometimes we'll we'll have clients in this exact situation, and we recommend life insurance for you know whatever one point one million dollars, let's say, and we we just basically say, hey, ignore that life insurance because we don't think you need it, but it's saving you money on your premium. So that's really the benefit. That's really why we're including it. But the other three covers, they all pay for you. If you're sick, injured, ill, so they're important. Life insurance, we agree, you probably don't need it. Christy said and asked, is it better to increase cover but take an exclusion or stick with suboptimal cover without an exclusion? Well, that's Is the this Christy or Kirsty or... Christy. <laughs> okay. Top left Christy, on the page. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so circumstantial. I would probably say if it's a better quality policy, we'll call it income protection. You know, I'm excluded from my left ankle with income protection. I would probably keep the existing default one and ensure my full income with the better policy, even though it has an exclusion on my ankle. Yeah. So, I mean, our view in our business, we're strong believers in a certain way of doing it. Don't go and do this and blame me for it. But what we like to do is if generally the optimal terms is for lower levels of cover and default cover. Mm. And we like to do what's called a top up. So, Anything that you're covered for, we won't have that in the new cover, but we think you need a million dollars and you've already got $175,000. Well, we'll we'll give you $825,000 with the exclusions Mm. Um, because increasing that existing cover, you may have exclusions on the whole thing or there may be issues with it. But yeah, we we look at having actually two because you can have set up two policies. So Mm. you can have $175,000 with one company and $825,000 with another company and they'll both pay out. Yep. Siobhan, can you opt to have something like mental health excluded so you don't need to go through all the frustrating questions? So that's the thing. Like I was talking to a friend the other day. Actually, we were I was talking to my friend on speakerphone. You were at my house and I was asking my friend, how's his uh, new antidepressant medications going? Because he said he was on some new meds. It's very common out there in the life that we're living now. And yeah, there's going to always be exclusion for pre-existing medical conditions. Anxiety and depression is a pre-existing medical condition when it comes to insurance because it is a claimable event. Yeah. But we can't just tell the insurance company, I'll just take the exclusion. I don't want to tell you about my mental health. Yeah. And the the reason the reason for it is, I mean, look, insurance is a pain in the neck. Um, but the reason for it is because the insurance company wants to make sure that there's nothing more substantial. So if you're, I mean, insurance companies are actually cracking down a lot and I yell at underwriters 
all the time these days, I feel like, where if you've taken any time off work um, due to work-related stress, they actually won't offer income protection for some of the time. So it's becoming even more difficult. So that's why they want to ask all those questions because it's not just we're going to put an exclusion. Sometimes they won't offer cover because of certain conditions and certain events. So unfortunately, the answer is no, you can't do it. And and just go kind of go back to the idea of why this type of insurance is different to like car insurance because car insurance is just all data driven. It's all public. Like you know, insurance yeah. companies have this data: where do you live, how old you are, what sex you are, all these data points. And then happy days, they'll offer you cover. But life insurance, we're all individual. We've all got our individual, you know, nicks and niggles that the insurance company needs to understand and assess accordingly. And so that's why the underwriting process and the the health questions is really in depth is because they need to know that are they willing to offer you cover or, or if they're willing to offer you cover, are we willing to put exclusions on it? or shall we decline the cover? With underwriting, where are we with genetic testing? Because I'm 33% Irish. I found out the other day I did one of those ancestry Great. You're not getting things. an Irish exclusion. That's okay. No, yeah. okay, awesome. <laughs> but I mean, there's particularly around um, female, the BRCA gene and whatnot, is there a duty of care or a duty of disclosure rather that I have to disclose if I've had a genetic test? Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've you've the insurance requirement is you got a duty to take reasonable care not to misrepresent your situation. So if they ask you the question, mm. "Have you had a generic test?" and you answer no, or you're misrepresenting yourself. Right. Uh, if they ask you the question and you answer yes, then they will take that into account. Now, there is some genetic tests is a little bit funny because insurers have kind of agreed that up to a certain level of cover, they won't factor it in, right. but over that certain level. And that level of cover, I'm, I'm on a podcast, I'm recorded, but I think it's four grand of income protection and half a mil of life and TBD. Yeah, but that would be in relation to the each insurer's in-house um, limits, wouldn't it? Rather than a blanket industry? No, I think it's a blanket industry. Like right. they've, they've oh, all come the, and like said the, for, the for Cali genetic, Council or whatever. Yeah, genetic testing purposes, we can offer this mm, much cover okay. where we won't ask the question. Right. But they don't care that I worked out that I'm 33% Irish. No, they don't care yeah. about that. Yeah. I meant... Tatar. Tatar. They won't care. How's this? When I got the genetic test back, I was in I was in Bali at the time and I met some Irish people in the pool. Guess what I said to them? Hey, brother. Hey, mate. Thirty-three, uh, and then has, has granddad going? Yeah, pretty much. Right, we've covered a lot of ground. We need to wrap up. If people are like wondering what to do, maybe what if people want more information, we might put a link in the show notes to the webinar that you did, or a couple of webinars. Yeah, so, yeah we do webinars, trying to do them every second month, or even like my millennial money YouTube. But I'll get Rach to put links in the show notes to insurance webinars, so you can just get more information um, yep. because you did that good one in relation to superannuation, group cover. We everything we do is good, Glenny. Everything right. we do is, is good. Is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah, no, we, yeah, we, we do, we cover a whole bunch of topics and yeah. we're, we're doing one in November with right. My Millennium Money about claims and claims data and right. we've got one of our clients who's very willing to come on, well, I'll, I'll say it on the podcast so he has to come, yes. but he's, he's willing to come on and talk about his experience going through a cancer claim. Mm, well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure this podcast gets up before that webinar. Yep. Any other burning things that you wanted to say? I mean, there was lots of questions there and we did print out all 50 in really small or all 64 in really small font. Yeah. I mean, just reach out to me. If you, if you do have any questions, like feel free to LinkedIn reach out to or me. Something. Okay, yeah, so just on that, if you want Phil and his business... Sky Wealth to 
review your insurances, do a risk analysis for you, you might not get Phil. He's got a team of advisors. Yep, you know, correct. You're running a business. You've got your own capacity. That's why you've had to get other advisors. But Correct. Know. I mean, we, we've got an amazing team of, of advisors who are much better than me. That's, yep. that's what I learned in business. Hire people who are much smarter than you. But yeah, reach out. There is... Obviously, you'll have a your your team will have a fifteen twenty minute combo of the exact process based on someone's situation. Correct. But there is a fee that they would pay, which is a once off fee. Yeah, just to clarify, the fifteen minute phone call we don't charge. Right. And then if you decide and and you want to, and we can answer questions in that, and you mm. ask ask any curly questions, and yep. and me or the advisor will will answer your questions. And then after that, if you do want a, f- a formal review, um, we do full pre assessments as we touched on, and so that pre is occupational medical and family history and we do an insurance analysis in terms of how much cover but we charge a fee for that advice document. So and it's, it's affordable for an income or two incomes And because I don't want you to say the price. Okay. The only reason why, because people listen to this in three years and want it the same price and if you're like, oh, it's $20 more now, they'll like... Yeah, I know that. I know people get funny. We, I mean, our business, we are, core, we are, we are big believers in making advice affordable. Mm. Like that is our core mission at Sky is to make sure we are providing affordable advice. Um, and so we believe we've set our prices reasonably and we're trying not to increase it. Um, as much as possible, yep. but I won't. I won't say the price, even though it is three hundred and thirty dollars for individuals and four ninety five for couples. I won't touch on the price. Okay, don't don't say that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely that. won't touch yeah. on our cost. Yeah. But you know, we we feel like it is affordable. And then you're remunerated like a mortgage broker, the Correct. insurance company, whatever you choose. You know, you can't put someone with or with the one insurer because it's the same payment rate across the whole industry. Yeah. So like you don't actually care what insurance company people use. No, no, no. And we, I mean, in our documentation, our advice document, we show you full underwriting assessments. So when we when we say we pre-assess, we show that in our documentation uh, that we give to our clients that this is what every underwriter said about your personal history. And you can see we've recommended a more ex- expensive product because the underwriter of the cheapest one said that they're going to decline your cover. So mm. that's why. Yeah. So we, we include that. We include all the cost comparisons between other insurers. Uh, if we are recommending replacing your cover, which is pretty rare that we do that, um, we do a full cost comparison. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll leave it there. Phil from Skywell, thanks for hanging out and talking all things life insurance. Thanks for having me, mate. All right. Um, bye-bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I'm with my friend Ainsley. We're going to spend a couple of moments because we really wanted to do this as a PSA uh, to get a skin check, first and foremost, because I've had a melanoma that was removed and uh, Ainsley's life was a bit rocked recently. So welcome to the podcast, Ainsley. Thank you. So talk us through the, the process. It's still quite raw and, you know, we aren't at the end of the story yet, but... Um, what was the, the process for you? Take us back to when you um, found out that you were diagnosed with a melanoma. Yeah, I guess I was delaying getting my skin checked. Um, I had noticed a change quite rapidly, which is why I ended up booking in. So you went to the GP? So, yes, yeah. so I ended up at my GP, who was very obvious to her that it was a melanoma. So she decided she it was quite serious and she didn't want to touch it. So I ended up at the Melanoma Institute where they um, did a biopsy as a quite urgent one um, because of how it looked. And then it turned out it was quite serious. It was not as deep as they thought, but the cancer growth rate was quite extreme. So I ended up with emergency surgery, taking out a large amount and my lymph nodes. Fortunate thing was they turned out to be clear. So, um, yeah, it wasn't going to look like that was the case, but it is currently. Um, and where I'm at now is waiting on a PET scan to see if it's anywhere else. What was the time frame between getting told to the melanoma institute then to be booked in to have the surgery yeah so uh, normal biopsies are two weeks but when they are emergency biopsies it's seven days so between um i guess every waiting period was seven days so on the 10th of june to about the uh, no it was the 29th um of june i had the operation Mm. so there's that um the unknown that yep. would have almost knocked you over. <laughs> yep. So um, I'm really good now at waiting and, yep, just, um, yep, constantly waiting results, waiting to see what's happening, waiting to see when I can work again, just, yep, just always questions and waiting. Mm. This whole thing, and I guess the reason why I wanted to chat with you is to remind everyone, get your bloody skin checked. Mm-hmm. You've got one job, everyone, after hearing this. Within the next week, I need you to book in to get your skin checked if you haven't done it within the last 12 months. Uh, it could literally save your life, save my life. Um, Ainsley saved her life. Mm-hmm. So 
while we're still waiting on the PET scan, we're confident, but we're still in a bit of a limbo. When you're told that this is very serious and we have to take lymph nodes to make sure they're not hot, what's going through your mind? Because, you know, you live in Sydney, you're a professional employee, you've got an income, you've got rent, and we are leading to a an insurance story here, everyone. I've got to build it up a bit. Um, what were those thoughts? Because you did call me and, like, did you call me knowing that you did have a policy? Like, what was your thoughts with the insurance that was set up? Yeah. Um, did you think you were covered for melanoma specifically? Um, yeah. Just talk to us about all the vibe of getting told, crap, I may have a serious cancer emergency here further yeah. than a melanoma yeah. that's getting cut out in a localised place. So there's two insurances. So first the private health insurance. Mm. So when, you know, you're talking life and death, you realise you will just pay whatever you can. Mm. Um, however, you think you've got your private health that you've been paying since 19 years of age. Um, turns out when I needed it, I'm not covered for any of it. Um, so I, it was all out of my pocket um, to pay for hospital, all the scans, all the biopsies, all the visits was all out of pocket from me because it, my tick of a box wasn't covered for uh, mm. cancer. Wow. So that was um, the first insurance. The second insurance, um, yeah, so we started to look at my life insurance because eight years ago there was a financial advisor on the Central Coast. Oh, who was that? <laughs> who suggested that perhaps I should look at having life insurance. Um, at the time, I thought, I don't have a family. I don't own any property. I have no debt. Why would I need life insurance? So Glenn painted a little picture of, I think you used a very innocent uh, broken leg scenario. Did I really? It was so, Yeah, like if I had broken my leg, required surgery, so I guess a, a big break. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. real real break. <laughs> um, and I needed a significant amount of time off work that this would protect my income. Mm. So that did get me thinking that that could happen to me. I didn't think cancer would happen to mm. me, but a severely broken leg could happen to me. Because you're so. such an active person. <laughs> yeah. So it's true. I am paying rent. So therefore, I did need it. So I was more than willing to sign up and trust that Glenn had the best policy in place for me. So you knew that, and this is this is a good example, everyone, of like actually reviewing what you've got. You'd been paying money out of your bank account every month for eight years. You knew eight years ago, you got an income protection policy. I pay every month. I'm insured, right? Yes. Did you know that you were paying for a trauma policy? And if yes, did you broadly know what it covered? No. Right. No, not at all. Because um, I would have told you at the time, but life goes yes. on and you forget, right? And and you, I guess you think you're never going to need it. So mm. it's not something you really think about. You hope you don't need it. Ainsley called me. She told me and I said to her, look, I'm confident that there's at least, based on what you've told me, a potential claim uh, but we need to get the histopathology uh, before we can actually put a claim form in because I did set up Ainsley with a trauma policy 
um, and the income protection policy. So long story short, when you're given that news that you've been diagnosed with a very, very serious medical condition, the last thing you want to do is rock up to work. Mm-hmm. You've got the stress of crap. I've got rent pain, like you're renting with a flatmate. What if you can't pay? Do I have to go back and move home? So you've got all these feelings, right? And the long story short was um, we put in a trauma claim with the insurance company and Ainsley got a significant amount of money uh, that was approved pretty hastily. Um, we'll give Zurich a shout out uh, for doing that. What did that do to the feeling? Like once you knew that, you know, and we'll just, we'll let everyone know, are you comfortable say it's, yeah. Just say well over a hundred grand. Yes, we'll just yeah. say that. Yeah. So that's a real amount of money. So what did that do, knowing that you had that cash paid into your bank account, and you're still in the storm of it all? Yeah, I guess when I was going through that four week period from the diagnosis to the operation, um, I was trying to go to work the entire time because it was a new job. I had no sick leave. Even up till the day before my operation, I attempted to go to work. Um, anxiety sent me home. So I knew that feeling of of needing to work to get on with life. In fact, I would say to people, if they would say, what did you learn? I was like, that you work till you die mm. because you still need money. You still need to pay rent. So, So I knew that feeling. So when I was successful for this trauma claim, and the income protection. It was automatic. I didn't want to go out and buy something ridiculous. Um, but I thought to myself, I won't have to rush back to work if it happens again or if it gets worse. I've got that freedom to look after myself, to take some time out and to not have to worry financially about uh, the next operation, the treatment. Yeah, so it was just a massive relief. Mm. And then the out-of-pocket cost uh, from the private healthcare and the plastic surgeon and the the stay in hospital and all that stuff, that was at what, close to? Ten. Ten grand? Ten thousand, yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was like a stressor that was removed instantly? Yep. So it covered the private health expense? Yep. And it's given you that cash buffer, so... When you go through the PET scans in November, if there are any weird things or other hot nodes, like we know one thing, there is no financial stress if it hasn't completely been eradicated from your body. You can just focus 100% on getting well. You probably will call work and say, guess what? probably not coming in for a couple of months. And if they say, well, don't come back at all, you go, that's okay. Because money's not your problem. That's right. You've got a war chest now to survive and throw everything at it. And just while we finish, because I want to touch on this, what does the feeling of having financial security in the worst time medically in your life, like how would you describe that? Yeah, as I said, just a massive relief. There's just no thought about, will 
do I need to rush back? Cause I said to work, you know, what treatment can I afford? Um, as you said yourself, you know, if there's a drug that isn't available yet, I could potentially pay for it myself. Mm. I've just got that. Yeah. That I guess it, it's a security. It is a security. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're halfway through the story, but I'm confident that Ainsley's a good friend of mine. Do you like my podcast voice? <laughs> <laughs> We're halfway through the story. And yeah. I'm sure you're going to be absolutely fine. Um, and, you know. I just can't talk about the death policy one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you're not going to get a death benefit. <laughs> just write me into your beneficiary. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, so, and this is the thing, like, in terms of insurance now, if Ainsley rocked up to an insurance company and said, oh, I want to increase my death cover or increase my disability cover, a couple of things would happen. They may say, and this is very dependent on the condition and on the insurance company and the policy, but they're going to say, well, you're not having trauma cover. And if you are, we're excluding cancer. Or they might say with death cover, come back in a year if you're being cleared or we'll get you to pay more. So the policies that I've set up for Ainsley, her income protection and her death and disability cover in super, she's literally taking these policies to the grave because she's fully covered now. So we'll leave it there. Any final words to the, the good friends of My Millennial Money? Yes, I guess. And what I've been saying to everyone is uh, cancer get one in three people. So if you think it's not going to happen to you, it might not, but it could as well. So can't encourage enough to look at getting that um, insurance set up for yourself because it could be too late. Yeah, and my final words... You know, if you don't get insurance, get a skin check. <laughs> like if <laughs> at you, the very least, at the very least, I would yes. rather you still be alive, yes, and broke than true dead and broke. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's pretty tough to say. Uh, but yeah, please, your job at the moment, everyone, go and get a skin check. Yes. All right, Ainsley. Thanks so much. Thanks, Glenn.